Today we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 17, and I'll begin reading with verse 32. We're introduced for one of the first times to the young man, David, and we begin to see who he is, and we begin to see why it is that the Bible calls David a man after God's own heart, a man who has a heart for God and a man who has a desire to live for God. And so I want you to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want you to think with me about how we face the challenges of the giants in our lives. As we look at this young man, almost a boy, David, who faces the giant in his life. Here's what's happened. The, the Philistines, or Philistines, I call them both of them, they use the same word, pronounce it both ways. The Philistines came to Israel about 1200 B.C. They came from the islands of the Mediterranean. About the same time, maybe a little earlier, the Hebrews uh, came out of the wilderness on the east side of the Jordan, crossed the Jordan, and began taking the land. It probably was inevitable that they were going to have some skirmishes, both trying to occupy the same land. And so the Philistines had an army and the Israelites had an army. Saul was the king of Israel and his army was against the Philistines, and the Philistines had a champion, a giant, a giant of a man, a great warrior who day by day taunted the Hebrew army. And every day, the Philistines felt more confident, and every day, the Hebrews felt less confident, and every day a few more people would get discouraged and leave the army of the Hebrews. And David stumbled onto that as a boy. Listen to what it, the Bible says. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior since his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant, talking about himself, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it inevitably turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. 
Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a, a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he wasn't used to wearing armor and probably it was way too big for him. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff. The shepherd boy would use a staff. Took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the, the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, a giant of a man, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over, saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world, listen to this, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel, all these gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. I read this passage of Scripture because it is filled with such good teaching about God. I read this passage of Scripture because it is such a stirring passage of Scripture. I read this passage of Scripture because everybody here is facing a giant in their lives. And everybody needs instruction from the Word of God on how you face the challenge of the giant or the giants in your life. We all know this is true. You're a fifth grader, and you know what it's like to face a giant. Or a ninth grader. Or a young adult. Or an adult nearing the end of life, and we all know what it is to fight against the giants of life. And so today I want to talk about the why of giants. That'll, that'll be a little bit later on. I want to talk about the why of giants, but I mainly want to talk about the how you deal with the giants of your life. 
And I want to give you four things, and I think you'll find these right in the Word of God, and that what David experienced and what David did was exactly what we need to do and how we need to handle this. And it's almost a perfect example of dealing with all of the giants of life. So let's look at these four things. The first thing I think that you must do as you face the giants of life is simply accept the obvious. And what is the obvious? The obvious is that life is going to be filled with giants. Our kids going to school, you know what that's like. Such a struggle dealing with giants. And, and 40 years from now, you may look back and say, that was just, that wasn't a giant, that was just a little thing. But right now, it's a giant. And maybe you do have a ninth grader, maybe you are a ninth grader. And you know what it is like to go through the giants of life. And the parents here, and the grandparents here know what it is like to watch your children and grandchildren struggle with those giants. You have to accept the obvious. You want to deal with the whys, but mainly you have to deal with the how. How do I deal with this? How do I get beyond this? How do I defeat this giant and move on to the other things in life that I need. I love Job 14.1. It reads this way. Our translation we're reading puts mortal in there, but the Hebrew word is the word for man, not meaning not, not men, not males, but humanity. And so therefore, mortals are exactly right. But I just like the way it just is written. Man born of woman, that's all of us, that's the only way that it happens. Man born of woman is short of life and filled with trouble. Now, there's the obvious. And it could be that you are in such a sweet spot right now that you say, oh, that's not the verse for me. But if you'll wait a little while, there won't be a sweet spot, and it will be the verse for you. This describes human life. It describes human life because of our sinfulness, because we are a sinful people, and we dwell among a, a, a people uh, who are sinful. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. We live in that kind of world, and because our sin, because of our sin nature, because of our choices in the past, we struggle with the giants of life. Man born of woman is a few days and filled with sorrow and trouble. The great evangelist Billy Graham, and I realize there's a whole generation of people who hardly know who that was, when he was... I think when he was 70 years of age, they asked him, Billy, what is it like? What do you think about life now that you're 70 years old? By the way, he lived to be over 90, but here's what he said at 70. He said, he said, what do you think about, what has surprised you most about life? He said, it's brevity. Man, born of woman, is short of life, 
and full of trouble. And the quicker we understand it, not to let it get us down, not so that we think about it and dwell on it all the time, but simply that we know where we live and why things are the way they are, and that our God came because of all of these issues that we face. I want to remind you that when you go to fight against the giant, here's what we think about Goliath. He was so many cubits tall. Cubit is this, and doesn't matter about how tall you are. It'll be about 18 inches on everybody. And he was that many cubits tall, and we think he was nine feet, six inches. And here's what I always say. At first, anytime you face a giant, they all look to be nine feet, six inches tall. It just doesn't matter. They're all big giants, and you have to accept the obvious. But there's a second thing that you do to face the giants in your life, and that is you do what you already know to do. Even by this time, I always think that... uh, that David was 17 years old. Scripture doesn't tell us that. Tells us he wasn't much more than a boy. We know he was the youngest in his family. He had been keeping the sheep. That was always the job of the youngest child in the family. We know he had been doing that, but he already had an understanding of things that you ought to do. The worst thing that you can do when you're facing a giant is to do nothing and to have nothing to do. You have to make a plan. And then you have to take those steps to carry out that plan. And remember that praying is a part of the plan. But you have to have a plan. You have to take those steps to carry out the plan. And when you do so, then you're able to get things moving in your life to what God wants them to be. So what do you do? Well, the first thing you do is you take small steps. Now, I emphasize that because I want to take large steps, because I want to attack the heart of the problem. But most things in life There are a number of steps that need to be taken, and we need to take some small steps to get us ready for them, to be able to do the things that we need to do, because most of the time, we aren't ready to tackle the big thing that has to be done to topple the giant. We have to do the little things to get us ready. Uh, most of you probably know the name Dave Ramsey. He's become very famous. He is a Christian. He does Christian financial counseling. Not really planning, just counseling. And he has become very famous basically because he tells you two things you need to do. They are as obvious as it could be. You, you, you listen to Dave Ramsey and you say, why didn't I knew that? Why didn't I tell half the world about this and become famous? about it. We all know this stuff. So what does he tell us to do? He says, everybody needs to have an emergency fund. Now, here's the the truth. The majority of households in America basically have no net worth. And in America, 
most people live from one payday to the next and have no margin and no emergency funds. And Dave Ramsey just states the obvious, you know, there's a time coming you have to put tires on that car. There's time coming when a, when a transmission is going to go out. There's a time coming when somebody's going to get sick and there's going to be an emergency and you need an emergency fund. So I'm listening. I forget what I was listening to, but there was an interview with Dave Ramsey or maybe one of the other people that works with him. And, and the interview was what you need to do about debt. Again, simple little thing. And, and, and he said, most people have about five, five things that they are, where they have debt. And so the interviewer said, how do you get rid of that debt? What do you do? And the guy said, here's what he said. In my way of thinking, he said the opposite of what I would tell you to do. If you had five, five things where you're in debt and it, you can't make the payments and it's getting worse and worse and you're paying interest and, and you're drowning in debt, I think I would say, take that largest amount first and attack it and and." Take the one that's got the highest interest rate. But that's not what he said. He said the, exactly the opposite. He said, take the smallest first. And then, listen to these words. He said, and attack it furiously. Pay it off furiously. And the interviewer said, why would you take the smallest? Why would you take why wouldn't you take the one with the highest interest rate? And the guy said, I want people to have some success. And then you can take this amount of money that goes to this minimum payment and you can pull it then for the next smallest amount and then you attack it furiously. He was just saying, take small steps. And a lot of times in life, that's what we'd have to do. And and many times, it is the most important thing to do because little changes, think about your behavior. Think about those issues in your life. Your, your language needs to be cleaned up or, or your, your attitude needs to be changed or you, you need to quit living out frustration and impatience. Sometimes the smallest things will produce the greatest results. And then do what you know to do, and one of those things you do is you readjust along the way because nobody can make a perfect plan. Sometimes you need to readjust. Think about David. David's got a plan. There's a giant. I'm going to go out and fight against the giant, Saul, who looked like a king, David didn't. Saul looked like a king. He's described as being head and shoulders taller than everybody else among the Israelites. He just looked like a king. So Saul puts his armor on David. I always see something different, and, and the place that I always get the most insight is by reading Scripture out loud. So in reading this scripture out loud over the last few days, I saw this, how ludicrous it must have been. David, a boy, not filled out, not a grown man, not as big 
as his brothers, when Samuel went to uh, anoint David as king, he didn't know he was going to anoint David. He was just sent to Jesse's household. Jesse had seven sons. Samuel got there. He found the firstborn son. Samuel said, this man looks like a king. And he was ready to anoint him. And the Lord said, no, this is not the one. So he goes to the number two, number three, number four, number five, number six. And, no, and the Lord doesn't say any of those are the one. And, and in exasperation, Samuel says, Jesse, do you have anybody else? And they bring in David. And the Lord makes it clear. And by the way, what do you think made, why was David the one? It's because he had a heart for God and a heart like God. Remember, that's the goal of the Christian life, that we become like Jesus and that we have the heart of God within us and that we have a heart for, for God. David was indignant. You have defied the armies of the living God. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. There's that heart for God. David was a man after God's own heart. And it must have looked ludicrous. David over here, and I can't wear this armor. I think he means it didn't fit. I'm not accustomed to it. So he takes it off. He readjusts. He takes his staff, and he takes his pouch, and he puts five smooth stones from the stream in it, and he takes his sling, his slingshot, and he goes out to fight against the giant. And what was he doing? He was doing what he knew to do. And what did he know to do? When the lion and the bear attacks the sheep, the lion, the giant, was attacking the sheep of Israel, you go out and you fight for it and you attack. And David had done that, and he defeated the lion, the, the lion and the bear. If you start taking their food from them, they're going to attack you. When the lion and the bear attacked me, I struck them down and I killed them. Remember I said we'd talk about why is it that we have troubles? And by the way, I never tell anybody why troubles come. I don't know. I don't know where you are. I don't know where I am. There are all kinds of things I don't know, but I do know this. God will take the troubles of today and use them to give you confidence and power and encouragement for the troubles that will come tomorrow. So you think about the fifth grader who is struggling with the giants of peer pressure and all kinds of things in school. And God is going to use that to strengthen the fifth grader for the times when he faces the bigger giants. Now, is that the way it always happens? I don't know. That's the way it happened here. 
David might have been saying, God, why do I have to fight lions? Why do I have to fight bears? I mean, you could give all kinds of answers. That's just naturally what lions and bears do. They attack sheep. Why do I have to do that? Well, what we know is, is that God used that for the bigger giants that he was going to face. I would encourage you. I would encourage myself. But I would encourage you as best you can when you struggle with the giants of life that you say unto God, God, I didn't want this. I wouldn't have planned this. I never had this in mind. All that will be true. But God, I'm going through it, and I want you to use it for good. You promised me you would do that. And God, I want you to do that. There's a third thing of how we deal with the challenges, the giants of life. We invite God into our problem and to our needs. I want to remind you, nothing is too big for God and nothing is too small for God. Now, I never hear any of you say that that's too big for God. God can't do that. But I do hear you sometimes say that's too small for God, and I don't want to take all of my troubles to God. I want to say to you there is nothing too big for God and nothing too small for God. What does the Bible say? God says, cast all your troubles on me because I care for you. The Bible says don't be anxious about anything, no matter how small, how large, but be prayerful in everything. So there's nothing too big for God and nothing too small for God. And we need to invite God into our lives. We need to pray. We need to seek him. We need to let him be in control of. I think this is a truth, and I would encourage you to circle it on your sermon sheet. And that is anything you try to do apart from God Anything you're going to do on your own and you leave God out of your life is probably going to be too big for you or else you're going to do something that's wrong. But anything you invite God to be a part of is really going to be fairly small because you've invited God into your life. David is telling us about God. He's teaching us about God. I'm going to go out and fight, and the Lord is going to give me into your hands, and everybody is going to know that there is a God in Israel, and everybody is going to know that this God is at work in the world. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of the Philistines. I come to you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of armies whom you have defied, and this day the Lord will deliver me, and all those gathered here will know that's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Think about what that teaches you and me. Invite God in to your life. And then let God lead you. Let him show you what the first step is and what each successive step is. Now, some of you, 
want to have a full-blown plan before you take a step. That has not been the way I have experienced God. The way I've experienced God is, Waylon, I want you to put your faith in me, and if you'll take a step, and you'll do what I told you to do, and you'll be obedient, I'll show you where step two is. And for my life and the way God has worked within me, that's the case. But I need to take the lead. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And don't lean on what you can figure out. In everything, in all of your ways, in all of the things that happen in life, in all your ways, acknowledge me, and I will show you how to go and where to go. Let God lead. Do you know how much power? Do you, do you understand what you have? Do you understand what you have as a Christian? I'm always amazed that, that we will talk about I am weak and poor and can't do much and all of those kinds of things. I, I'm always amazed at churches that say those things. We're just a small church or we're just a poor church or we're just a weak church or we don't have very good leadership or something. I'm always amazed. Do you understand what you have? You have the presence of God in the church and in your life. Jesus said, I'm going to go away, and it's a good thing for you that I'm going away. Because when I go away, I'm going to pray the Father, and the Father will give you the gift of the Holy Spirit. Jesus could only be, he limited himself. He could only be in one place at one time. He, could only, he couldn't be in Galilee and Jerusalem at the same time. He limited himself to his humanity. So it's good for you that I go away because I will pray the Father and he will give you the gift of the Spirit who will be with you always. Do you realize you have the power, the presence of God in your life? Do you realize you have the power within you that raised Jesus from the dead? That's what Paul says in Romans 8. You have the power within you that raised Jesus from the dead. If that's the case then you and I need to look at those giants differently. When we, are, when we are devoted to God, when we obey God, when we open our lives to God, when we say to God, God, I want you to be in control, then there is no giant too big for you. Then there is nothing that is beyond what God can, can do within you. Do you recognize you have the power of Jesus, the power that raised Jesus from the dead in you? And do we as a church see that? There's the third thing you have, and that is you have a God who wants you to pray, and here's when you do pray. 
In John chapter 14, when he said, I'm going to pray the Father and he will give you another counselor, the spirit of truth, he said, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. Do you realize the power that you have to fight the giants of life? A couple of months ago, I remember... The United States sent up the James Webb Telescope. Remember, we had a Hubble Telescope years ago. The James Webb is, is a factor, a huge multiplier of the, of the size and the strength of the Hubble Telescope. And so a couple of months ago, uh, the, the they gave the results of the James Webb Telescope. Now, I'm going to give you in two minutes all of the scientific knowledge I have. So this is not going to be complicated. It's just going to be very basic. You and I live in a galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy, in which there are about, give or take a few hundred thousand, a hundred million stars. Pretty impressive. In our galaxy, with our solar system, our sun, our planets, a hundred million stars. So that begs the question, isn't there? Are there other galaxies? And if there are other galaxies, how many galaxies are there? And so we've all, we've all been told that there are other galaxies. We just don't know how many. So here's the answer that the James Webb Telescope is giving. A hundred billion galaxies to 200 billion galaxies. Now, isn't it interesting the way they put it? They're saying we could be off by 100 billion. But there are between 100 billion and 200 billion galaxies. I read an interview early this morning of a, a woman, a PhD, who they asked, what do you think about this? And she said, she said, it makes me see the smallness of the humanity, of humanity. We're just little. Well, in one sense, we are little. Here, here's the part I want you to see. The God I worship, the God I serve, is the God who knows all of those 200 billion galaxies and created them all. By the way, there is the galaxy that is farthest away is called GN dash Z11, had to, had to name it something, 300 billion light years away. And the God you worship created it all and knows it all by name. And he is ready to help you fight your battles against the giants of your life. And this God 
loved you so much. He knows your name, by the way. He knows how you were made. He knows what's going on in your life. This God gave his son to die on your behalf that you could be forgiven and made a new person and that you could know him personally and live with him day by day and then live with him in all eternity. God did that for you and me, and he wants you to know him and follow him and serve him. And so I want to ask you today to, to, to profess your faith in the Lord, to, to say the obvious thing, I need to know that God who created me and knows me and is the God of the universe and loves me with a never-ending love. And he has invited you to know him. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that if you would trust in him, you would have eternal life. So I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to ask you to walk to the front and make a public profession of your faith in Christ and others of you to, to pray about the giants that you're dealing with and pray with the pastor. Let's stand together, please, and I'll pray, and as soon as I pray, it'll be time for you to come, and you are invited to come. God, we love you, and we thank you for loving us. God, how good you are. Thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you that you have given us your spirit, the spirit of Jesus himself to reside within us, who is with us forever. God, we thank you that you have given to us this ministry of reconciliation, reconciling the world unto you. And God, we pray that there are people who will today reconcile with you and know you as their Lord and Savior. God, would you draw them and bless them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may come now.